everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Vegan Proteins Muscles by Brussels Radio. My name is Danny. My name is Giacomo. And this is episode 19. So boy, are we ever behind on this podcast. Uh, This has been a really, really hectic month with just one thing popping up after another. And we really decided that we needed to take a little step back and focus on some really big things before we made another podcast. We just had to put stuff in in order, if you know what I mean. So uh, since it's been a while, how have you been, Giacomo? Well, I mean, a a lot's been going on, but I, I mean, I'm still riding pretty high from our last show. I finally placed first which is something i've been looking to do for a very very long time you know uh i didn't place first in uh, the bodybuilding division which is my ultimate goal and i know that i have a uh, long ways to go to build my body to be what it needs to be in my frame to have a, a winning winning uh winning build for bodybuilding but for physique, I'm sort of built naturally for it. And, you know, we've been training three years consistently and competing three years consistently. Everyone told me to go for it. I went for it. Just missed getting a pro card, which was like, oh, God. Now just, you know how it feels. It's the worst. It's it's a gift. I mean, I got off stage. I got my trophy. I went back out for the overall. I came back without winning the overall and without getting my pro card. And you were just right. You're like, I was crying in the audience. for you. I'm so happy you wanted this. I just looked at you. I'm like. What are you talking about? <laughs> I was like, now he I got to do it. He couldn't even be happy for like five minutes that he just placed first in a division he'd never competed in before because he didn't win like best dude in the whole place on his first tryout. Well, that's the nature of this sport is that you're always left wanting more and you're always a uh, work in progress. Yeah, but you have to be able to celebrate your victories. And I feel like I had to twist your arm into that. You did. It took me, I would say, about an hour and a half before it started to even sink in that I was actually leaving that competition a winner. How'd the competition go for you, Danny? It was a really good show. I liked the way that it was set up. It was in a high school. It was in a really nice high school. And... Um, we didn't really have much space backstage, so that was a little bit hectic. But, you know, going into this show, I had sort of Insta-stalked <laughs> some other people that had been using the hashtag for the competition, OCB Battle of Belt. And I realized that somebody was going to be competing in my division and that she was going to sweep the floor with me. Basically, there was nothing I could do about it. I w- was bringing the absolute best package that I've ever had before I was leaner than I ever was. I was fuller than I ever was. So I knew that this was the best that I could possibly do at this point in time. And this woman was, you know, unless she just took crazy good Instagram pictures, she was going to beat me. The bummer about this is that, um, I'm almost certain, almost certain that she wasn't natural by her own admission, at least not within the last seven years, which is the rules of the OCB. And that kind of sucked. Because, you know, we talk about how sometimes people sneak through, sometimes people slip through the cracks of the polygraph test, and, and um, you know, she did. <laughs> so I guess I didn't really feel like it was a very fair playing field before I even got there. So, I mean, I can't compete with that. I don't take anything. <laughs> anything other than, like, regular natural allowed substances. And over the past several years, she had not. So her body is insane, and she works incredibly hard and is a great athlete, so I will give her that. 
But I was terrified that, you know, if I came in second place to somebody who more or less cheated, I was going to be absolutely devastated, just heartbroken. Because as I've mentioned before, my goal this season was to give it another shot and try to get my pro card two more times this season. And, you know, if if I got beat out by somebody who blurred the lines of what is and isn't allowed, then I would have been crushed. But luckily, (laughs) I came in third place. So even though I, you know, you would think second place is better than third place. Well, yeah, I guess technically it is. But because there was somebody else there who beat me, who was in fact natural, I didn't take it so terribly. I was actually pretty relieved. And as I suspected, the person who won was that girl and she ended up winning her pro card and um you know it just shows you a different side of the sport that sometimes things are just beyond your control and you just got to do it because you love it and it was a great show um Giacomo's mother came out to see it and she's never seen us compete before together so that was pretty cool and we had a we had a nice time that weekend it was out in Jersey we ended up meeting with Meeting up with Christina and Greg of Cruelty Free Muscle. So that was cool. Basically, once I got home from that competition, actually going into that competition, I realized that was going to have to be my last competition of the season. Even though I want to do the show that's in like a week and a half with Giacomo, because I think that it'll be a decent show and I think I would have had a good shot, my body just couldn't handle dieting any longer. And I, I just, that was something that I had to just admit to myself. Like if, if I, if I decided to push through and continue to compete through this season, I would be going against everything that I tell to my clients and that I talk to other people about. I would be really, really pushing the boundaries of my own health. Um, there's no question about it. When you're prepping for a show, you are pushing the boundaries of what is and isn't healthy. And eventually you're going to cross that line. And I did. And some of the things that I experienced that really made me realize, like, you need to cool it, was I was constantly exhausted, which is normal going into a show. I was starting to think about food a lot because I was so hungry. Um, You know, you're basically eating the bare minimum that you can eat to maintain the muscle that you have while not actually gaining any weight or fat and in a lot of instances you're still looking to get leaner my workouts were suffering I was starting to get injured really easily getting like you know aches and creaks and things like that and actually my uh I started to notice that my hair was thinning a little bit so you know that's not like I'm going bald or anything like that but I did notice some extra shedding I guess and I was just like yeah no there's no need for me to push this for another six weeks for what to maybe maybe get my pro card, maybe not. Like I'd rather just take the extra time for the off season and focus on bringing my calories back up and getting all my strength back and making new PRs and building new muscle and then coming back, you know, in a year and a half or two years, whenever I compete again as a better competitor. Exactly. Competition season does have a shelf life and the longer you go at it and the harder you go at it, the more your body will eventually, like Danny said, start to rebel against you even more and you have to weigh weigh it out you know if you if the risk is worth the reward then you can probably stretch the limits a little further but it's it's not wise when when there the risk is not worth the reward and for some people genetically it's just easier too i mean giacomo 
is reversing into these shows right now. So that means he's adding calories every week and he that's how he's prepping for his upcoming shows. And granted, he went from bodybuilding to physique, which is not quite as lean. So, you know, he doesn't have to be shredded to the bone or, or worry like about that. it mentally, which is big. Right. But for me in figure, just to get to the level of conditioning that I need for figure is fucking hard. It is really hard for me. So I can't reverse into a figure show. It's just not going to happen for me. No, it's, it's way easy for me to continue doing this because the truth of the matter is that losing some of my conditioning going from a bodybuilding frame uh, to, into the offseason is actually helpful in the physique division. It's more of a softer look. So I'm actually headed in, in the right direction. And I don't have to stress about it as hard mentally either so I can get back to life instead of being preoccupied with uh, dieting and prepping and everything that goes along with that, which is important. Yeah. So this has been, I've been reversing now for two weeks. And just like it is for everybody else, it has been really, really difficult. (laughs) Because once there's no end goal of stepping on stage in a tiny bikini, you don't have quite as much willpower to not sit down and just eat till you're full which is something that you don't get to do when you're prepping hardly ever. You never get to sit down and eat until you're satisfied. It's like you sit down and you eat, and sometimes when you're done eating, you're still hungry. So when you're reversing, you're still going to be hungry. You're still going to be hungry because you're bringing your calories up slowly, but without the like, oh, I need to get ready for this date. It's so much easier to just be like, yeah, but it doesn't really matter. So I'm just going to eat what I want to eat right now because there's really no no outward consequences of it other than I'm going to gain body fat faster than I would like to. Long-term goals are generally harder to, to keep in sight than short-term goals are no matter what you're doing. And when it comes to to getting out of a contest prep and and those short-term goals are no longer there on the way to your long-term goal. You know, it takes a little while to get dialed in and and fully focused in. I don't care who you are. Yeah, I certainly have not been perfect, although I'm pretty proud of myself for being able to uh, reel it in as much as I have been able to reel it in. And I've been able to hit my macros most of my days, the vast majority of my days. And sometimes I just feel like eating what I want to eat right then. And that has to end up being a conscious decision that you make to allow yourself to be human and, you know, eat more than you're supposed to every once in a while. And that's life. And life is not about competing and you can't completely give your life to competing, even though it's so, so easy to, especially when you're type A, to just, you know, when you're competing, every aspect of your life fits into a box, basically. And that's really appealing to somebody who likes to have an organized, planned out sort of situation. But the fact of the matter is like real life isn't like that (laughs) and and shit happens and it's not always perfect. And that's something that a lot of people struggle to be comfortable with. And, you know, myself included, especially coming off of a prep where you're so, so regimented to really decide that you're going to not let go of control but sort of loosen the reins a little bit because that is what is both physically and mentally the healthiest thing that you can do that doesn't mean that it's not difficult so yeah it's been it's been a little bit tough but ultimately i'm gonna call this reverse so far a success 
I, I think it's been a success for you. And it's going on the eighth week for me. And it's all about the big picture and the balance and being able to loosen up the reins. But it's it's kind of weird because it's like what you have to do basically is take yourself out of what you've been doing for almost half the year or more, depending on how long you've been prepping. And then you have to literally plan to not plan to nail your macros and to basically have everything weighed out and super regimented and and whatnot, you know. And and it's important to do that because, I mean, nailing macros is great and tracking everything to the gram is nice, but that in and of itself can can be a disordered eating pat- a habit, you know what I mean? Yeah, you can become obsessed with it. Right, I mean, and the whole idea of what we practice and preach is flexible dieting. And even though, you know, during competition season things are tighter, there should always be flexibility around your programming. During contest prep, there's flexibility within your food choices, as long as you hit those numbers pretty spot on. Uh-huh. In the off-season, transitioning out of the competition prep season, same thing. You still have the same flexibility with food, but this is where you can start to learn to be a little bit more flexible with your numbers, too. You don't have to nail everything to the gram to be consistent. What I like to call it is basically loosely tracking your macros, but within reason, you know, plus or minus say five grams on each one of your macros is not going to hinder your progress. And if anything, unless you're always over. Yeah. But if you do that once in a while and, you know, throw in a meal once in a while, like say maybe loosely track your macros 25% of the time and maybe estimate a meal once a week where you can allow yourself to go out to eat and maybe not weigh everything. Yeah. And one of the the things that I do is when I'm in competition prep, as I think I've mentioned on this podcast before, I weigh my vegetables. I weigh out my broccoli. I mean, I weigh out everything because when you're really hungry, I mean, I can eat a bag of broccoli multiple times a day without even thinking about it. Um, so when I'm prepping and every gram counts, yes, I weigh out my vegetables. Now, even just two weeks out of my reverse, I'm not doing that anymore. I am just eyeballing it. I mean, I know what 150 grams of broccoli looks like at this point. That's a thing. And I can, you know, dump some on a plate and be like, yeah, that's about right. And that's fine. Because at this point, a couple extra grams of carbohydrates from fiber in broccoli is not going to do a damn thing to my body because... The, the changes that you're, the changes that those make to your physique, those couple grams, they're invisible to everybody unless you are standing on stage. So without that, there's no need for that kind of obsession. Yep. And, you know, as you get less and less hungry, it's a lot easier to be real with yourself about what you're actually eating when you're not weighing yeah. everything on a scale. Whereas when you're in contest prep, like Danny said, it is very easy to overeat. And, and to lie to yourself. <laughs> yeah, to lie to yourself. Even you're like, oh yeah, that's, that's a tablespoon of peanut butter. Sure. Yeah, no, it's probably not. <laughs> it's probably more than that. <laughs> Anyhow. So that's sort of how our dieting life has been going we've still been training just as hard um i actually took a deload week this week for the first time in a year how terrible is that i have my clients take deload weeks every 
I don't know, 12 weeks or so where we just sort of back off a little bit and I haven't done it in a year. Well, when you're contest prepping, you really don't want to take a deload. And if you haven't taken a deload within the right amount of time before your contest prepping, you can wind up training that long without scaling scaling anyway it's been awesome (laughs) it's been awesome um the reason i decided to take it i talked about on periscope today was i noticed that i was even though i'm eating more not not a ton more but i am eating more than i was a couple weeks ago and i was still really really exhausted and i didn't feel like that was improving and i was starting to feel um different aches and pains in my joints and actually the other day we were at Bev's Powerhouse Gym in New York City and it was a squat day and I went to squat for my max squat um, two reps at 190 which is something I know that I can do and I failed I failed on the first rep and you know I'm okay with my strength not going up very fast on a reverse but I refuse to lose strength on a reverse so that is a that was a sign to me that it was time to just take a week and Basically, I'm still doing all of my workouts, but I'm doing them at about 70% of the weight that I normally do. So it's not really enough to make me sore or anything. It's just enough to tell my muscles like, hey, please don't leave me. (laughs) And also keep up the habit of going to the gym. And as soon as my reverse started, I changed, well, I worked with my coach and we changed our training, my training, excuse me. We changed my training up from a program that still has plenty of hypertrophy work with accessory work but the main focus is on the major compound movements squats bench and deadlift so that in and of itself gave my joints tendons and ligaments a break which was key because my body physically has been starting to rebel against me and i'm actually not fully recovered i I have a little bit of a tendonitis tendon i think it's more tennis elbow than golfer's elbow because at the top of my elbow joint but um but yeah this is this has been helping me sort of I don't want to say deload, but just change up my training to where I'm not overreaching, but I'm still making progress. And uh, some of the last things that we've been working on is, you know, trying to get back to balancing our work life and our gym life and our home life and all that stuff is that we have decided to open up some spots for coaching. So... If that's something anybody's interested in, you can go to veganproteins.com and click on the coaching tab. And there's a a little uh, contact form at the bottom where you tell us a little bit about yourself and you can submit that. And I cannot guarantee that by the time we get them, there will still be spots available. But as of the time of this recording, we do have some spots available for coaching where we're offering things like macro only coaching. So if you already, if you just want to know what your macros should be and keep that monitored over time. Also like full meal plans and training programs and contest prep. We do have a few spots open right now. So that's a thing that we've been up to. Well, I'm pretty excited about it actually because, you know, we're two people, right? And Danny's been doing more of the coaching than I have. All of the coaching. All the coaching. All of the coaching. I mean, I help with some (laughs) of the administrative stuff, but I'm going to start coaching too now. But in addition to that, the both of us are basically – restructuring the way we do things and we also haven't taken on new clients in a very long time because we want to make sure that we're giving the absolute best possible service that we can we're not we're not just going to sit here and churn out clients and be a revolving door if if we accept someone and it's because not only do we want to work with you we want to make sure that we can give you everything of ourselves that we can possibly offer so after being booked up for 
I would say over a year, perhaps, that we haven't really accepted any more than, than one person here or there. It's been over a year, and people have been asking to work with us for a while, so the fact that we're able to open our doors up right now for a period of time, I'm actually pretty excited about it. We've I'm pretty been, excited to have you as my coaching sidekick. Yeah, it's, it's going to be cool. <laughs> I, I've, I've been looking to, to help people out, and I think we've gotten to the point where we've organized everything in a way so that we can actually still give our all and, and accept new clients. So what we wanted to talk about today, uh, we're kind of late to the party, I guess. A few weeks back, I want to say it was a few weeks back, this woman came out with a video on YouTube that ended up going viral. And I kind of don't even want to say her name because I don't want to give her more attention, but like everybody knows about it already anyway. So her name is Nicole Arbor, and she made a video called Dear Fat People. And it was literally like the rudest video I have ever seen in my life. And I'm pretty difficult to offend um, because I find a lot of offensive things to be really funny. It's just this really dark sense of humor that I have. But for some, something about this didn't come off as funny. It just came off as mean for the sake of being mean. The gist of the video was that fat shaming doesn't really exist. That's just fat people whining about the fact that they can't control their lives. And then she goes on to fat shame people and says that that's how she's going to get them to change their their behaviors, their eating and exercise behaviors. And then she completely, she tells us this horrible story about you know, what she calls the fat family at the airport. And it was just, abs- it was disgusting. The whole video was disgusting. And I was happy to see that when I dug into a little, dug into it a little bit more, that that seemed to be the general consensus. It wasn't like I was just being oversensitive. It was just a disgusting video. And I believe she has yet to apologize for it. She's standing by it. I mean, I guess when that's what you do for a living, any attention is good attention. And I know she's a comedian. And I've seen comedians make fun of lots of groups of people and sat back and actually found whatever they were saying funny. There was just something about this that wasn't that. It wasn't funny. It was like cheap, easy humor. You know, it might as well have been telling fart jokes. Like, it was just so, so easy. What an easy target. Anyway, so what we wanted to talk about today was, you know, fat shaming and fat phobia and things along those lines because I feel like in the fitness industry, there's a pretty strong dichotomy between the the people who are, you know, trying to scare and shame overweight people into picking up an exercise regimen and scare them into losing weight, whether that's a scare for their health or a scare for how they'll be accepted by society. And then on the other side, you have the the fat acceptance movement, which basically, um, you know, celebrates bodies of all shapes and sizes, especially overweight bodies. And there's also the, I believe it's called healthy at every size movement, which implies that you can be healthy at any size. And I guess from my perspective as as somebody who used to be obese to somebody that now competes on a physique stage and coaches other people is that it really is not so black and white. This is a really, really sensitive topic. So I'm trying to approach it as sensitively as I can 
And just bear that in mind that this is, I have I have a fair amount of perspective from both sides here because I did grow up obese and I, I know what it feels like to be fat shamed and I know for a fact that once I lost weight and became quote unquote you know thin and acceptable weight that people looked at me differently, people treated me differently and that was a real shocker to me because it was something that I had never really thought about up until that point. Well, you know what this conversation we're having right now is reminding me about? It, it's our episode that we had about self-improvement versus self... Versus self-acceptance. Versus self-acceptance mm-hmm. because, you know, we spoke about, you know, you can be your own best critic and worst critic and which one is going to yield optimal results and how often do you see someone, whether they're being guided or pushed in essence, towards their fitness goals by themselves or with a personal trainer, beating themselves up and hating on themselves and basically not loving any bit of the process from start to finish because, one, they want to be somewhere and they're not, which is, you know, for all intents and purposes, let's, let's say they want to have a, a leaner physique. You know, they're not there, so they're going to beat themselves up over it. And then they finally get to the end result, and they're still unhappy. Why? Because they never loved themselves in the first place. They they shamed themselves, and they allowed others to enter their, their own personal space and shame them. And it's a big problem. So first of all, I don't think that every single person who is overweight is unhealthy. I don't believe that to be true. I believe that there is some truth to the health at any size movement. There is definitely some truth to that. Someone's size is not indicative of their health necessarily. Um, You know, you could be overweight and be super unhealthy, but you could be really thin and be super unhealthy. You could be completely average and be very unhealthy. Um, You can't tell that by looking at somebody. You don't know how fit somebody is. You don't know what sort of health problems that person has. You cannot tell by looking at somebody. So it is... A completely unfounded assumption that we make about overweight people in general. So looking at someone who's in the overweight category as far as how the medical field describes it, you know, say say that they're described as morbidly obese, would you say that they're healthy at any size at that stage? Well, I think that the criteria for morbidly obese is based on BMI which is a completely outdated system of determining someone's level of fitness or fatness. And actually a teammate of ours, Sally Anderson, if you haven't checked her out, she's an insanely strong vegan powerlifting chick. And she, I I guess technically she falls into the overweight BMI. And if you look at her, she's uh, clearly not. Also, um, one of the admins for the vegan bodybuilding and nutrition group, Christine Crumbly, I hope I'm pronouncing your last name correctly. Um, she posted a picture this week that was just like mind blowing. She looks incredible. She has so much muscle. She's very lean. Um, and I guess she went to the doctor this week and they told her that she's overweight and it's just laughable because she shows the progression of her body over the last several years. And She's clearly getting fitter and fitter and fitter in each progressing picture, 
but it's her doctors are telling her that she's becoming less healthy and less healthy and less healthy just because her weight is going up. So I don't necessarily think that morbidly obese, just by saying that your BMI makes you morbidly obese, that you actually are morbidly obese. Now, that said, I do think that there is a point where somebody can become so overweight that it does become unhealthy. There is just no way around it. Um, I don't think that somebody who is so overweight that they can't, you know, get out of bed is ever going to be able to be classified as someone who is fit or healthy at that weight. So if you take the name of the movement very literally, I don't think it's possible to be healthy at every size. Likewise, you can be you can be underweight and be healthy, but you can hit a point where you're so underweight that there's no way around it. You're just not that is not healthy. However, I think for the 95% of people in the middle of that spectrum, your your physical appearance is not a very good indicator of your overall health or fitness. So, you know, I've known lots of people who are pretty significantly overweight, who do exercise every day, who could probably run longer than I could. And then I know some people who are of completely normal or even low weights who have like an incredibly low level of fitness. So I find that to be quite interesting. And I do believe that you can be healthy at many sizes, many, many, many shapes and sizes you can still be healthy at. If somebody wants to lose weight, that is completely up to them. I don't think that everybody who is overweight should necessarily have that be their goal. In the fitness industry in general, I feel like people use the idea of being overweight or being fat as a scare tactic to get people to work out and eat right. So basically fear of being overweight or fat is the motivating factor. In a lot of polls that have been done, a large majority of people that do exercise and eat well do it out of a fear motivation. They don't do it to become healthier. They don't do it to take better care of themselves. They do it because they don't want to be overweight or fat. And I think that that is a real shame that that is the tactic that we use most in the fitness industry to motivate our clients. Now, if you're a person who is already overweight, how is a gym or a trainer that uses that sort of fear tactic going to motivate you to go to the gym? It's like you have a fear inside of you. And I know because I remember having it that if you walk into a gym, you're basically the walking billboard of what people don't want to be. And nobody wants to feel like that. So in essence, these sort of tactics keep people who otherwise would want to work out and try and become a healthier individual. It keeps them out of the gym and the fitness atmosphere. How, how much of the gym atmosphere would you say is sells this idea and makes people feel this way? I would say that a good portion of most mainstream gyms um, use a, a, a selling point of not becoming overweight. You know, like around the holidays, like come to our holiday boot camp to work off all that food you just ate in the holidays. That is a fear tactic 
to get people to work out by scaring them into not wanting to gain weight. I would say the other portion is probably just like ridiculously unachievable goals for 90% of the population that we use to to motivate people to work out. Well, what do you think will be a a better approach? What do you think would be a better approach? I think the better approach is to come at it from a more positive self-accepting standpoint. Like we've mentioned before, you need to become healthier and get into an exercise routine or an active lifestyle because you care about yourself and you care about your health and you want to maybe live longer so you can be with your kids when they grow up and they have kids or so that you can achieve the dream you've always had about running a half a marathon or something like that. Not just like, oh, I'm doing this so I don't get fat. Like, not only does that not help anybody who's working out to, one, achieve their goals, which should be the number one, you know, that's one of the top priorities for a coach is to help the client achieve their goals. But two, to also feel good about themselves while they do it. It's not going to help that either. Three, it's going to keep a very large demographic of people out of the gym entirely because they have been shamed out. I feel like within the vegan community also, there is a lot of fat phobia. It's just like um, a totally standard story that I went vegan and I lost so much weight because of it. So if you're a vegan and you happen to be overweight, people either think you're lying or you're doing it wrong or they'll be like oh you don't look like a vegan i remember that one right where it's like okay well and and this idea has been so heavily promoted in the vegan industry because the vegan industry even uses weight loss to sell the idea of veganism Mm -hmm. and you know (laughs) i get it when i went vegan i did lose a lot of weight and i didn't do anything special to do it and To this day, I am still very proud of the fact that I have achieved everything that I have achieved. So I guess I talk about it. But I have never, ever said that vegan is a weight loss plan. Veganism is so much more than a diet. And just because someone chooses to go vegan does not necessarily mean that losing weight is their goal. And there's plenty of vegans who go vegan and gain weight. And, you know, it's not quite as common but when you have all these people out there, you know, like Freely and Durian Rider and Vegan Gains and all these other really, really shameful sort of people out there talking about how, you know, you have to be thin and fit and lean to be healthy. It's just bullshit. And it doesn't make the vegan movement look any better to anybody else and it makes people feel awful about themselves because now they're the the vegan who's the exception to the rule exactly so if you're the vegan who's overweight you it's like feel you like really must be wrong. doing things wrong exactly and i just don't think that that is true i mean you and i both know giacomo how very very easy it would be to put on weight right now oh it's a piece of cake there it's a piece of vegan <laughs> cake right there there's so many vegan foods that are very very rich and there's you know Everybody is different. There are some people's bodies who just store fat more easily. There's some people's bodies who build muscle more easily. And there's some people who are just going to be lean no matter what the hell they do. Sugar, fat, and oil, all vegan. <laughs> that is very true. But I also think that just because, you know, if someone happens to be a vegan who is overweight, that doesn't mean that they're sitting around just eating sugar, fat, and oil. I'm in flour. I can gain 
Ship your fat and oil. Yeah, I guess you had that wrong. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. I mean, I can pretty, I could pack on weight really, really easily with whole foods. And in fact, I have in the past. I've tried out a 100% whole foods vegan diet, no oil, and I gained plenty of weight on that. Um, that wasn't my intention, but that was my experiment and that's how it went down. So, I mean, the point is that being vegan is not equal to being thin. And I wish that I could scream that from the mountaintops that vegans, like everybody else, come in all shapes and sizes. And as a community, we need to stamp this fat shaming out everywhere we see it. Because it's bad enough that it runs rampant in our everyday society. We're supposed to be a society of compassion to animals and hopefully, you know, human animals as well. And nothing good comes out of shit-talking people who have a little more weight on their body. You know, there are tons of athletes who qualify as overweight, who are insanely strong, fast, agile, and compassionate vegans. And this is something that I feel really, really strongly about as somebody who, you know, spent still at this point, still the majority of my life I've spent being obese. So I know what it feels like to feel like everybody already has really low expectations of what you're capable of without you even opening your mouth. And it's a really, really shitty feeling. And I don't believe it to be true at all. Well, what about those that are either too thin or, or, okay, I don't want to say too thin. What about those that are on the thinner side or on the heavier side as far as their size goes to the point where they're at a very high likelihood for a health risk? How do you approach, how do you approach that from a health perspective, but also from a well, compassion perspective? Unless somebody comes to me and asks me for my advice or my help, or my feedback, it is not my place or anyone's place to comment on someone else's body. Even if someone is literally eating themselves to death or starving themselves to death, if you are not my immediate family or my significant other, it is not my place. It is not my place to say like, hey, I'm worried about you and your body. You know, it's their body. Judge others less DV judged. Yeah, basically. we all have unhealthy habits. Some of us just don't uh, wear them outwardly so much. And if somebody does come to me and they are in a really risky place from being either very overweight or very underweight, then it's a matter of basically changing habits. I think it's not about beating the shit out of yourself until you drop 300 pounds. It, at that point... Usually in order to get to the size that I'm referring to, like the size where you can't, you can't do your normal everyday functions anymore. Usually at that point, it is a very large series of habits that you do over and over and over that have added up to getting you to this point. So a lot of times it's about changing the habits. And also typically when somebody gets to this point, either overweight or underweight, there is almost always a psychological component going on behind that as well. So it's not just about someone sitting around, you know, stuffing their face because they're lazy, you know, and at that point, it's usually to deal with a, a larger psychological issue 
that's going on and that needs to be addressed while also changing those small everyday behaviors. Right. I mean, take a look at somebody who's made a transformation from being on the heavier side to the point where their health is complicated and the psychological component is never addressed and they're making that transformation. There's a chance that they're going to wind up being on the the lower end where there's uh, underweight to the point where there's health complications. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very common actually to have somebody go from um, truly morbidly obese to very underweight because they just keep going and going and going and going and just develop a type of eating disorder in the other direction. However, like I said, to be compassionate, one, don't assume anything about somebody. First of all, you could see somebody who's 600 pounds and you could, this, this is a situation where I'm saying their weight is to the point that it is unhealthy. And, but you don't know. They could have just lost 200 pounds. They could already be well on their way to their journey back to health. You don't know, so you cannot assume. Likewise, people who are very underweight, you know, they could still be unhealthily thin, but they could have just gained 10 pounds. Like, you don't know, so you cannot assume. Well, why do people find it so acceptable to fat shame then? I don't, I don't get it. Like, why is it so socially acceptable i actually i don't think it's quite as socially acceptable as it used to be and i thank god for that um i think luckily we have more conscious people in this world than we did maybe 10 years ago and i do feel like more people stand up for what is right and don't let that shit slide anymore and there's so more transparency good. these but days there is like a systematic fat phobia sort of built into society like I don't think that most people would think it's socially acceptable to go up to somebody and say hey you're a fat lazy person and you should lose weight like that is not acceptable however but you know what is socially acceptable is having a reality tv show where they take overweight people and put them on screen in their underwear and humiliate them by making them stand on a scale in front of everybody and make them do ridiculous stunts that are very degrading for some reason that is socially acceptable even though you know it's it's the same thing just on a much larger scale having to pay for two plane tickets if you're over a certain weight like these are systematically built into society and those are accepted you know i guess it, it it's just it's not okay so i guess why it's socially acceptable to have this systematic oppression of overweight people, uh, I don't have an answer. But I know that it is. There's a lot of like concern shaming from the powers that be, that everybody's so concerned about the nation's overall health, that they want to fight obesity by doing X, Y, and Z. But then two seconds later, a commercial for a bacon-wrapped pizza covered in cheese comes on people who have never been overweight do not understand what it feels like to be going grocery shopping and buying groceries and suddenly feeling um, a sense of guilt or shame that other people are looking at what's in your cart and thinking that you're some kind of a lazy slob who's not even trying um, because you didn't buy like nothing but vegetables <laughs> and fruits it's a really terrible feeling to be embarrassed to just be a human being 
out there and feel like you need to feel guilty if every single second of your life isn't dedicated to becoming a smaller person and it's it's uh it's heartbreaking and for somebody to come out and make a video to make a demographic of people who are already put through the fucking ringer every day and i'm not saying none of it is their fault i mean there are lots of people who do have really unhealthy habits that get them to a an overweight place and you know i don't think anybody's denying that there are also a lot of people who are not overweight who have ridiculously unhealthy habits the point is you can't just know that by looking at somebody so you can't assume that just because you know somebody is out somebody who's overweight is out having sharing dessert with their significant other at dinner that they must just be a fat lazy slob who just eats whatever they want with absolutely no mind towards their intake at all. I mean, it could be their anniversary and they could be out celebrating and she could be exercising every single day and you don't know. Um, and I find this to be a really huge problem in both the fitness industry and the vegan community. I think it is appalling in both places. And um, I think it's even worse in the vegan community. I do think it's even worse in the vegan community. Unfortunately. Because you are treated like you're doing something wrong. Well, yeah, because everyone everyone that is vegan wants everyone else who isn't to be interested in veganism. And it's like if you're not a shining example in every possible way on why someone else should go vegan, then you're basically... Hurting the cause. You know what I mean? Do yeah. you ever feel like that? Yeah, I think people do talk like that. And um, it's more so than than just your physique or your level of health. I mean, it goes into your food choices, into your uh, every ethic. I mean, every part of your ethics. Uh, smoking, drinking. Everything, everything. Um, which you can be really rail thin and smoke and drink. And those are way less healthy habits than like eating potato chips. I'm just you putting know, that out there. But... <laughs> But the truth of the matter is that people do come in all types, shapes, and sizes. Vegan or not. Exactly. And don't you want to bring every possible person who isn't vegan into... Yeah, I'm all about bringing as many people towards veganism as possible. But guess what? Not everybody wants to be freely the banana girl, okay? <laughs> oh, Everything from, you know, a smoker and a drinker to a straight edge to, to in between. I mean... There are going to be people that are going to be interested in a compassionate lifestyle, and we have to be open-minded to those who are who are not looking towards taking that step, or even have haven't been exposed to it. To those who already have taken that step. If if becoming vegan um, brings you greater health, hell yeah, that is awesome. But that is really not the main selling point for veganism, and dramatic weight loss is not something that people should just expect out of the gate. Because it's not going to happen for everybody. And being vegan is not about, like, who can have the most perfect chiseled abs or anything like that. It's about compassion for the animals. And however you achieve your... However you live a vegan lifestyle and however you look, those are completely irrelevant to the compassionate, ethical side of veganism. So I guess... I could literally ramble on about this all day long, and I have lots of uh, lots of stories and philosophies about being a former obese woman um, 
and what it was like to become, to go from that to a physique competitor over the course of a decade or so. And it's a, it's been a pretty crazy ride. So if anybody's ever interested to hear a little bit more about what that has been like, um, you know, just let us know because like I said, I could talk about this sort of thing all the time, but the short version of this is that fat shaming exists. It totally sucks and you cannot assume anything by looking at them. So I know we all, we have all done this. I think every single human being in the world has looked at another person and assumed something about them just by looking at them. And I think that's normal. That's a normal human thing to do. But you know, if you catch yourself doing it, just check yourself. You know, you can look at somebody and be like, oh, they, whatever. But think about it. Like, do you actually know that or are you just assuming it? And when you real, once you're aware of it, it's a lot easier to stop doing it. So I guess that's pretty much it. Fat shaming sucks. Moving on to our product review segment of today's episode, we'd like to talk about FitQuick Performance Waffle and Pancake Mix made by a friend of ours, Hollyworks. We've been carrying it for a while, and she just keeps coming out with these crazy flavors, and each time it's it's a hit. I mean, so far we have, she's made, uh, what, double chocolate brownie, java chip, vanilla, and pizza style. And last Last year, it's mm-hmm. no longer around. I can't wait to see what she's going to come up with uh, for a seasonal edition this fall. But anyway, there is a new flavor that we do not have for sale yet, but I have been a taste tester for it, and we are going to launch it probably by the time you're listening to this episode. Um, it is Lemon Poppy Seed, and I, I got to say, she really nailed this flavor by and far it is the best it, my personal opinion it, it is the best texture and taste out of all of the f- uh, flavors of fit quick that she's made so far i actually haven't tried it yet so i'm my mouth is like watering just listening to this and I, I i don't know that it could fit everybody's program but i know that no matter where my program's been even right before a contest i've been able to work it in to to my meal program and to my macros you know you can have let's see each pancake is roughly two and a half grams of fat 10 grams of carbs and 11 grams of protein so it's and it's gluten-free and soy free and common allergen free for those who have food allergies which is also nice tell them about the coolest thing about this flavor (laughs) the coolest thing about this flavor well I would say the the contest that's going on right now that we'll be doing together for the Golden Scoopy. <laughs> what is a Golden Scoopy? It's a take on uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory um, with the golden ticket. One of the bags of the lemon poppy seed flavor has a Golden Scoopy in it. <laughs> so we have no idea which one it's in. Um, Holly doesn't even know which one it's in. So it is unriggable, and um, you know who? What do they? What do they get? Well, that's what, what I'm. What do they get if they win? Find this golden scoopy in the lemon poppy seed fit quick, and it's you've got the golden ticket to making all of the vegan protein donuts that your heart can desire, in a way that no one else can, because you will have the only chocolate raspberry fit quick out there 
that's made by uh, made by Fitquick. <laughs> I'm kind of jealous. I I want it actually. So we're recording the Muscles by Brussels podcast right now, episode 19, and usually we do the Q&A from Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We take questions off of there and we answer those. Um, But today we figured we'd try something different and try to see what sort of questions you had for us about vegan training, vegan diets, supplements, lifestyle. So if you guys want to ask us any questions at all, we will answer them live for you right now. What was the name of that pizza flavor spice? Um, the name of the pizza flavor spice oh. that we use so much is called Flavor God. Um, it just spelt the American way, F-L-A-V-O-R, God. And they make a whole bunch of different spices. The pizza spice one was a limited edition, but I think they still have some of it. So I would go check it out because it's amazing. I mean, everything you put it on basically tastes like pizza. What's your favorite Wink flavor of ice cream, Giacomo? Oh, geez, that's a tough one. Uh... I'm going to go with the the cake batter flavor. I really like the cake batter flavor, but also the cinnamon bun flavor. Is someone saying that you don't like it? I, I That would be the first time I've ever heard you say that, that you don't like. It just tastes like a pea protein <laughs> like smoothie. It. I'm not impressed. I, I like <laughs> I like the macros on it. I like that you can add whatever you want to it and make your own little personal ice cream sundaes that aren't calorically dense. I had it every day in a row for geez, I don't know what, it was like 120 days or something. <laughs> I haven't had it in a little while, but yeah, yeah the cinnamon bun is good. So Sassy asks, what is your favorite pea protein? So this isn't uh, solely a pea protein, but plant fusion protein powder has a lot of pea protein in it. It also has quinoa, amaranth, and artichoke protein. And they have, the, in my opinion, they have the best tasting protein powder out there and it is mostly pea which is surprising they have a vanilla bean chocolate raspberry plain chocolate uh cookies and cream and then an unflavored one that's a little bit sweet yeah i think you like the if i'm not mistaken you like the chocolate flavor better right danny yeah i'm, I'm a fan of the vanilla personally yep. i think the chocolate's really really good yeah mixes well tastes great uh, it's it's a really good price also Extina says what do you guys think of brown rice protein I think it's fine. Um, I don't particularly like to drink it in a shake or anything like that because I just don't think it tastes very good as a shake. But if you're going to cook with a protein powder, like try to make protein treats or whatever, brown rice protein is definitely the way to go. Um, pea protein gets kind of gummy when you cook with it, so I don't particularly like to cook with that. But brown rice protein, I mean, it's from rice, which is a grain, so it cooks up really, really well in baked recipes. So for that reason, I like it. It's more versatile that way. Pea protein, because of the gumminess, is good for, say, a protein ice cream. But with the brown rice protein, you can always add a thickening agent like mm-hmm. a gar-agar or what whatnot to it. What is the name here? Uh, Wheatless in Atlanta. Asks, do you do guys... Do you do soy at all? All the time. Yes. Every day. We do a lot of soy. We definitely do. We eat a lot of soy. Sassy KFS asks, do you have a vegan sub for BCAA? We do. Uh, we have a product that we carry at Vegan Proteins by a small vegan vendor, Clean Machine, and it's called Clean BCAAs. BCAAs that are on the market, some of them are made from human hair and duck feathers, which... Say that again, New York? Made tell- out of what? Duck feathers. And? 
human hair? There Do I have to go. pronounce my H? Yeah, no one's going to know what you just said. Human. Some of the BCAAs on the market are made out of human hair and duck feathers, which is gross. So the clean BCAAs are made from plant amino acids specifically. Okay, at control, 46 is asking again, been stuck at the same weight and reps on bench press for a while. Should I try upping the weight? So are you not able to do another rep with that weight? Is that what you're saying right now? Um, if you are stuck, like you can't eke out another rep, gotcha. If you can't get out another rep, what I would suggest is a couple of things. One, I would suggest adding fractional plates to the bench, which are really, really small plates. You can get them in anywhere from a quarter pound up to a pound and a half, because sometimes even a five pound increase can push you too far on your bench and make it so you can't get another rep. So adding the fractional plates is helpful. Also, if you have a partner or somebody who can spot you in the gym, you can do some forced reps. So once you get to the point where you basically know you can't do another rep on your own, your spotter comes in and they help you get the next rep up. You push as hard as you can and the spotter helps you as little as they need to, to help you get all the way back up to the top. And from there, you want to lower it back to your chest very, very slowly. So this is called a negative where you focus on the eccentric portion of the bench press. And it is actually really, really great for busting through plateaus and building your strength up. Or you could focus on building the, the muscles that make up the bench press separately a little more. Triceps, shoulders, your back, you know, or switching up your exercises, doing some more dumbbell work or whatnot. Also, you have to look at how far you've been, how long you've been at that sticking point. And, you know, sometimes it's good to take a step back a little bit, take a break and give your body a chance to rest and recover. I mean, there's so many variables, but. Mm -hmm. Anne asked, what is the best split? For example, six days on, one day off. Um, it kind of depends on your goals a little bit, but we'll talk about weight training specifically. My favorite split is three days on, one day off, two days on, one day off. So that covers the whole week because I like to have my weeks the same. Um, ideally I would say three days on one day off is perfect, but if I do that every time, every week will be different. So I prefer three days on one day off, two days on one day off. Um, that gives my muscles a chance to rest because I train my muscle groups quite frequently. I train shoulders three times a week and everything else twice a week. So my, I need to give them some sort of a break in between these beatings that I'm giving them constantly. Same here. We've, we've both been doing the same split for quite some time. Right now I'm training my legs three times a week, back twice a week, and chest twice a week. And yeah, I mean, it just really helps to have two breaks to break everything up. In contest prep, I was doing cardio on my off days. So I never actually had a day off from the gym. Um, but now that I'm not in contest prep, I'm tacking my cardio onto the end of another workout just so that I have two full rest days a week because I desperately need them. All right, there was one question, and I didn't catch your name, I'm sorry, but somebody asked, are we, are you and I equally motivated? And I think it said, what do you do when the other one is not motivated, or what do you do when you're not feeling motivated? That's easy. I, I'd say that we're both equally motivated as far as the big picture goes, and just like anyone else, we both have days when we're more motivated and and days when we're not as motivated we sort of 
push each other and but in a way that we're complimenting each other and not putting putting one another down saying oh you suck today you can't do this i'm just gonna go work out on my own it's yeah, not like I that don't at all very well to that kind of train that who kind does of talk so <laughs> um but yeah we're, we're both really motivated we're both always excited to go to the gym um we have days where sometimes it's a little bit you know like uh, i just want to eat I just want to eat and not think about it. So we both have days like that. And the other one will be like, no, come on. You don't really want to do that because then you're just going to be pissed off at yourself. And, you know, this is not conducive to your goals and it's not conducive to our goals. Pep talks. We like to do pep talks. And the best place to do it is while we're about to get started because it's like, all right, we're in the gym. We're sitting down. We're taking our pre-workout supplements in, putting our headphones on and getting ready to train. And one of us or both of us might be feeling like shit or just not in the mood to be doing what we're doing. So we sit there and we talk to each other. We plan our workout out. We talk about why we're here and why we want to do it. Just basically. Yeah, this is not an everyday occurrence. No, but it happens. And so sometimes we'll get to the gym and we'll hit the floor immediately. And other times we'll be like, man, I just can't do this. And we'll sometimes we will literally sit down on the bench, on the sidelines, and just talk it out for as long as 20 minutes and and then we go and we have an awesome workout yeah but in general we're pretty lucky because we don't necessarily look at things as my goals and his goals we really do look at them as our goals and we help the other one reach them because they're important to both of us i'm i can't read the names really appreciate your candor All right, everybody. Well, thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Vegan Proteins Muscles by Brussels Radio. For the future, if you want to reach us, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Vegan Proteins, as well as on Periscope at Vegan Proteins, where we'll be doing live streaming Q&A sessions for future podcasts and just staying in touch. And if you like what you listen to, feel free to write us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening in on. It really does help us reach a lot more people. Once again, my name is Giacomo. And I'm Danny. We'll talk to you in two weeks. Sick with the